Hola. Bienvenidos. I'm JJ Saldana. And I'm Rebecca DeLeon, and you are listening to the Latino Card and Idaho Press podcast. We are recording out of the Radio Boise studios in downtown Boise today, and we have a couple of special guests. We have Rachel Spacek, also from the Idaho Press, and we have Antonio Hernandez, who probably has like seven different hats on right now, but I think it's Conservation Voters of Idaho primarily. Conservation voters for Idaho. Sorry about that. Yeah, we'll get it right. <laughs> you guys and your... And a very common <laughs> guest on this podcast. That's true. We've oh, had both of y'all on before. And we've also talked about the census before, but we're going to do it again. I think this time, let's sort of take a step back as far as uh, getting away a little from the technical language around the census and simplifying it to what it is. And this is really based on all the stuff that we've learned about it since we last talked about it. And so... I think for our listeners, a really easy way to wrap your mind around it is that the census is a giant survey, and it comes from the Census Bureau to find out how many people are around, um, especially in your state. And so they hope to count everybody, but it evolved into something where now a lot of the funding that we get, especially for programs like Head Start, uh, school lunches, Medicaid and Medicare, and student loan Pell Grants um, and all sorts of grants, that's where the money comes from, is from finding out how many people are here who speak Spanish, who are children, who are elderly, who um, need assistance, and then um, the total decides how much money we get. And also congressional seats? And then, yeah, there's also the congressional side of it as far as representation. So as a state grows... It needs more people to represent it. And so here in Idaho, we have two uh, for District 1 and 2. Um, I don't I don't think I have to name who they are. Nope. Probably not a good idea. But yeah, we have <laughs> yeah, two we representatives um, based out of the census count. And so um, I think in states like Texas and Oregon, you know, there's more of a chance that those populations have grown enough that there's going to be more. Uh, representatives potentially Idaho I mean it could happen it could be that we've grown so much that we actually have no idea how big we are and that we do need another district uh, as far as representation and so yeah I mean eventually right if the state continues to grow the census is going to play a big part in getting us the represent representation that we need and then on the other side of that if you have a severe undercount of people you can lose seats so right. that's what I've been hearing. Seats and funding. Yeah, and funding. And that's what I've been hearing in some um, larger or some states with like a larger traditional um, group that has been historically undercounted is they're like, like really worried that they might lose a seat or like you said, lose funding. So that's the other side, I guess, if you don't answer the census. And do you feel like we were undercounted in the last census as Latinos? I think we've always been undercounted. Um, it's hard to believe that we've had an accurate count, specifically around that it's sort of a tradition to um, it's a tradition to keep looking over people who you kind of live in the shadows, right? There's no mechanism as far as how to reach people when they. Um, live in the shadows and so um especially when we talk about uh our community latinos with um folks who are undocumented or mixed status you know they they don't they feel like they're in limbo so they rather not risk it 
right? And there hasn't been a whole lot of information come that, that directly addresses those concerns. Because I think that there's a little bit of an approach that, oh, just don't talk about the fear. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about the things that have come out that make people nervous about the census. And I think that's completely wrong. I think we need to tackle that head on. And then people will know that we're coming from a place of integrity, that they can trust us, right? Because we recognize the challenges that they're, and the fears that they have. And so until we do that on a large scale, there's no way we're going to be able to count everybody. And how do we address the trust issue? Well, in order to address it, I think let's talk about where it comes from. Right. Um, and so let's, you know, let's say I'm part of a mixed status family. Let's say that I have family members who are undocumented. Um, you know, I feel nervous. I don't want to fill out the census. I don't want to reveal who they are to the government. That's the whole point is that we have been trying to just live our lives um, and not put ourselves out there in order for us to be attacked, because especially in this administration, we are being attacked and you have, you know, these ICE raids that are being um, done and they they do use census data to see where the density of Latinos are or Hispanics, as our government likes to call us. They see where they're and that's where they're like, OK, well, we can send a bunch of ICE agents to that area. Why would I fill out the census and put my family at that risk? So part of it, I think, is also that there's not a relationship and the relationship that there is, is one that is like police and, you know, that presence of force. But what we know is that the census actually does not share that information with police and immigration. Um, they're actually barred from doing that legally. So in order for them to do that, do that, they would actually have to change the law. And I, I'm willing to talk about that fact that, you know, before all of this happened, we did have a situation where... Um, Japanese uh, American citizens uh, and Japanese Americans were targeted with census data and then put into camps. And that's where some of the other fear comes from. And it makes me very, very disappointed that people haven't addressed this issue, because if that census was data was used for that, why not talk about how it's different now? And the, the fact of the matter is that during World War II, there was a Wars Act passed that basically made it so the census people could share that information with immigration officials. And so after the war, that act um, got done and there were some new laws that were put in place with the Civil Rights Act that protected those folks as far as as far as sharing that information um, with anyone. Right. So that there's immigration, there's police, but now census workers can't share it with anyone. And so we will know when and if they decide to flip that so that they can, and we will have to respond. But we can't just live in the fear, right, of like, what if they do this? What if they do that? Because then we get, you know, that game, it can go on and on and on. And so I think it's really important that the relationship that we build with communities between government gets looked at more because right now, it's not very good. People have no trust. People don't, I mean, for the most part, even feel comfortable interacting with their city because they see it as a police force, mm-hmm. in my opinion. They so, definitely see it as a threat. Like, yeah. a, you know, it's you versus like big government. And it's it's very intimidating, at least, at, you know, even if you're a U.S. citizen and you you 
think to yourself like, oh, okay, well, I don't really care. It still feels like you're kind of looking up at this huge government lo- looming over you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so even if you allegedly like have nothing to fear, quote unquote, none of us really have anything to fear because, you know, you, you can be undocumented and still be counted. Um, but it, it does always still feel like it's something intimidating. You're giving a lot of your information like willingly over to the government and that's intimidating. Well, I think under this administration, that fear is very understandable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just the fact that they did attempt to try to put the question on there, it's it's really unnerving because it's like, what else can they try to do without me knowing? But I think it's really important what Antonio said, which is they can't at all share this data um, unless, like, a law is passed and then we'll be writing about it a lot, spreading the word about it a lot. And so hopefully people will figure it out. Well, they kind of like underhandedly have tried to do that. Um, Can you explain what happened with the driver's licenses information? Yeah. So the Census Bureau, um, it it has been working or the Trump administration has asked um, that the Census Bureau um, try to work with local um, driver's license offices to share some of that driver's license um, office data with the federal government. And um, some states have opted out. Um, I know Idaho has opted out of that. Um, but yeah, that was kind of an attempt for the federal government to obtain this local information about local communities. Um, so yeah, I mean, stuff like that is happening and it's scary. So are there any states that decided to take the administration up on that offer? I believe there was one. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, though. It's kind of surprising um, that it wasn't Idaho. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. And and that is why I, I, I was like drawn to this story because I think some national paper covered it. And I was like, oh, Idaho definitely seems like a state that this would be an interesting story in. Mm-hmm. Um, but Idaho, too, though, they were very reluctant to even go to the star card route to begin with. They didn't want that to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until it became a federal law that they started to go after that because they kept saying it was a privacy issue or something like that. So I think maybe in this case, Idaho's um, hesitancy to work with um, federal government and like not have federal government step into state politics is probably in our favor. But I think something that's been a theme uh, between the radio show that when we were live and and the podcast and, you know, why we want to talk about this stuff is... um, also related to some of the work that I've been able to do uh, with my job as voting rights associate and voter registration. And so we had a really hard time registering people to vote when we first started this program because I wanted to target people who you wouldn't target, right? People who spoke Spanish, people who, quote unquote, don't look like they would be somebody who voted because most people who vote are 55, um, older, wealthy, and white. And so there was a really... It was really odd, I think. A lot of times it was like having the conversation was the first time anybody's ever had the conversation with somebody. Talking about the government was the first time anybody had that conversation as far as um, on like a very, uh, you know, meeting people where they're at sort of approach. And so what I'm noticing a lot is, one, our local governments don't, you know, have a whole lot of resources as far as um, or know how as far as reaching people where they're at. Because even when we translate stuff, like that's not meeting people where they're at. You have to interpret it. 
right? People aren't lawyers as far as like the masses when we like if if the city releases something or the census releases something, etc., they just do a flat pass sort of translation. And you show that to somebody and people are like, I don't even know like where to start on this. And so having people that can facilitate that relationship is really key. And it's like you can you can tell when it's not there because things like misinformation get, you know, across before the facts do. And also people don't feel very like enthusiastic about interacting with the census or voting because it's not something that, you know, has been um, established as like a, a, a thing that you're supposed to do. So then how are you going to get people um, excited to fill out the census? Well, that's the that's a secret. That's actually why I make the big bucks. No, I'm just okay. kidding. <laughs> come on the Latino card. That's how. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna come on the Latino card every day. No, but also, um, I think it's 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 about like first finding out what works, which is a really long process, because you know, like, you basically have to become an expert on the subject. But um, you know, growing up in Idaho, I ended up translating a lot for like my mom and my family, and it was like a water bill or an electric bill, and I didn't know what I was talking about, but I did my best. And as I kept doing that as I was getting older, I realized that like, you know, sometimes like a doctor would say something and like there's a translation, but then there's like how to actually communicate that to my right. mom. Mm-hmm. Right. In a way that matters. That way that's not a machine because that's what ends up happening is that people think that you just need to like translate the words into Spanish words. And that's that's enough. Well, and I see that a lot in um, this is totally off subject, but I see that a lot in court. You know, you'll see that people who are translating there completely translate verbatim. And so the person that they're translating for still doesn't get what was just said to them. And so it's a you can't just translate verbatim when you're translating. You have to make sure that that person understands what you're saying. We actually had an entire podcast on the difference between translation and like meaningful interpretation and it's not just the latino community it's also people who are poor who are not necessarily have access to some of that education and 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 know-how around the language and so governments are not meeting people where they're at Um, community organizations sometimes aren't meeting people where they're at and so i think we need to like take a deeper look as to how we communicate with our communities uh when it comes to issues or uh things that are going on because it has to, you have to make an effort to um, not like dumb it down or, you know, make it like you're talking to a, to a, like a kid, but to have a little bit of empathy as far as, you know, some of this stuff is new to the people. And so how do you communicate that in a meaningful way? And, it, and it's something that I've been working on a lot and it's hard. I'm not, I'm not saying I have all the answers by any means. But it's something that I'm realizing more and more is really important. Yeah, it's the accessibility um, for anybody, you know, of any um, education level of any, you know, they they have different levels of accessibility. And so you have to talk to everybody differently. Um, So, Antonio, I'm curious in the work that you do, if you encounter somebody who um, is Spanish speaking and you're talking to them about the census and they say, well, I'm undocumented, you know, I don't even qualify for any, you know, snap i don't qualify for welfare i don't get representation like people don't represent me because i can't vote why should i fill out the census how do you respond to that 
You know, I think those kind of conversations don't happen very often because that's a very personal sort of like vulnerable place. And most people that I interact with, I'm kind of like, you know, it's parent teacher conferences at Caldwell or Nampa or these events that we do. And, you know, people are kind of in, in public settings. And so I notice that more people actually say nothing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's sort of that experience of being in the community. Like I recognize certain qualities and certain things that people do as far as, um, you know, kind of communicating to me with their eyes about their situation. And I think that um, that's why it's so important to have people who are trusted voices know this information because those are the people that are going to get that kind of like, hey, I'm undocumented. I don't feel comfortable doing this sort of conversation. And so, um, you know, I think that's that's like a layer that I don't know if I can speak to like universally, but when when people pass by, I basically have like three things I want to tell you. One, it doesn't matter if you're documented, undocumented, this is going to be safe and good for everybody, especially people in your life, people that depend on you and you care about um, because everybody, there's some universal stuff like everybody tries to, um, you know, get a leg up as far as like the job market. And so the census actually, if they see that a community is shrinking, Businesses may, may see that and be like, hey, we got to pull out of here. This is a dying community. But Idaho's growing, and we should be proud of that as far as um, our community growing. And if businesses see that, there's a very high likelihood that we'll see better jobs. We'll see bigger companies, bigger names come here because they want to be in a thriving community. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about that. I talk about how you know there's, they're not going to be asking anything other than basic information. So no social security questions, no citizenship questions. And also, like, if I'm at school, I'd be like, hey, your kids get free school lunch here. If the census actually funds school lunches, last, uh, in 2010, we got $52 million for it. But that could really go away if we don't get counted because most people in Caldwell, or a lot of people in Caldwell, are Latino, Latina, Latinx. And so um, that could really have a devastating effect on us if we want to advance as a community and so I, I really give people like this information sort of like hoping that one thing like mm -hmm. they remember you know or it just kind of calms some of the fear but um i've noticed that very few people will tell me that they're undocumented that they are what they're actually dealing with um as far as their their legal status yeah. well, it's understandable then when you tell people this is confidential that they still don't feel comfortable. It makes sense. Yeah, for right. sure. Yeah. And kind of along that, those lines, you know, I know you, Antonio. I know your history and your background. And so if you tell me, you know, this is safe, I'll trust you. Really? However, <laughs> <laughs> however, <laughs> if, you know, somebody who doesn't know you um, and you tell them, don't worry, this is safe and confidential, you know, they might think, oh, man, you know, they got to him. <laughs> Right. No, yeah. yeah. So That's I mean, yeah. So they they might just be like, "Oh man, this guy, uh -huh. he he drank the Kool Aid. He he. <laughs> <laughs> it's this 1984 kind of Orwellian type of approach." Where right. you're just like, "Oh, you know, yeah." And so, and I think that that's um, a lot of kind of where the the hesitancy from the community comes from as well. You know, even when you do have trusted people who are talking to you, um, they could just be like, "Oh, but you know." 
that's what they want you to think. <laughs> Like no. maybe they brainwashed you. They brainwashed. They got you. I mean, they got our friend Antonio. I'm on. <laughs> I'm on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> Rachel, what are you? Responsibilities on um, me the now. That you're interviewing, and you've been going to a lot of meetings as well. Yeah, yeah. I've been going to um, some meetings, um, and uh, I've met with um, Antonio's little group of census people, and I think there is definitely fear that. If like that they will avoid at all costs any of the mail that like the only reason someone would answer the census is if um, like someone knocks on your door and looks like you and like speaks Spanish. And I know the Census Bureau has done research that says communities of color um, are more likely to be undercounted if they don't have a census worker coming to their door. Um, so I think that's like a crucial, crucial Very part. Important. Yeah, that I don't know. Um, I haven't heard in Idaho if there's any kind of real push to get bilingual um, census workers um, out in the community if that's necessary. So I think that's a hugely that's huge important because thing. I know that in the 2010 census, they did have bilingual people yeah. specifically going out to Farmway Village out in Caldwell. And I remember in 2010, them saying that the reason they got bilingual speakers was because in the 2000 census, they had non-Spanish speakers going to Farmway Village. Yeah. And if you know anything about Farmway Village, it's probably like 95% monolingual Spanish. Yeah, and especially like back in, in that time, yeah. yeah. And so. so it was like, why would you send non-Spanish speaking people mm -hmm. to that. And so hopefully they've learned a lesson yeah, from that. I hope so too. And I know there is a push to get Idaho residents um, to be hired as census workers in Idaho. Um, and I just hope they start figuring that out for um, Spanish speaking well, communities Just bilingual well. in general yeah, should exactly. be a big plus for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in all of this too, I have been getting a lot of information from a lot of different places and, you know, speaking of bilingual workers, all of them um, have been bilingual. And we have had a lot of people approach us um, who are bilingual, um, who have been doing work in the community, but people who I wouldn't consider like, you know, long term census experts have come to us and said, like, hey, can we talk about the census on the Latino card? We're really trying to get the word out. You know, um, where did these people come from and why all of a sudden? Are they so involved in the census? Right, because Rebecca and I are like, and you are... <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I... I don't... I can't speak for those people, but I... My goal as a reporter writing about this is to talk to as many real census experts like Antonio, like the people on the committee, um, and just, like, let them tell the story and give me all the information. Um, and I haven't, I mean, I've seen like a lot of presentations in like a lot of events I've gone to um, and they're just pretty like generic presentations. But I feel like to get really into the nitty gritty as to why people aren't answering, why people wouldn't answer, you really have to like talk to the experts like Antonio's sole focus or like one of his sole focuses is on how to count Latinos in this state. That's true. Because, I mean, I know that I know that you and I were at a luncheon once and we were kind of like, 
Okay, so let's get into the nitty gritty, and they never really got yeah. to that part in that presentation. Yeah, because I, I think there, there's like a general census presentation that I've seen like 45 <laughs> times. I can just and, imagine. Yeah, and, and I, I think just, you said that when we were sitting there at that lunch yeah, and listening to it. And it's just not helpful unless, like, I went to one of Antonio's like specific census meetings where they were talking about these communities, and that was the first time that I heard that there was a group trying to get. Uh, documentation out in Spanish like you guys are like you said the only group that has any focus on that in in even like the governor's committee I don't think any of them mentioned once that they needed to get Spanish documentation out there so I think they do at the governor's um, committee mentioned it when Antonio's there yeah probably (laughs) (laughs) Um, no yeah I mean I'll mention this here too we mentioned it on live on the radio but we're, we launched a bilingual website, contamosidahocensus.org, um, or you can do wecountidahocensus.org. That's how bilingual it is. It'll wow. send you to the same site. <laughs> so it's English uh, and Spanish It's bilingual. in English and Spanish, yes. <laughs> and um, I was looking for an example. I was looking online like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to create this site. I have a picture in my head, what it could look like, but I'm not finding anything. And finally I gave up because I literally couldn't find anything. Um, and created it. And I think it's one of the only sites I've ever seen that it's not like a toggle button where you click on the Mexican flag or the, God forbid, the Spain flag for Spanish. <laughs> um, that right, find a flag that I don't I don't even know what the thinking behind that goes, um, how it goes. But or, or sometimes it says like translate in English. And you click on that button and it turns everything into Spanish. Um, (laughs) You know, this is the approach a lot of not only government agencies have, but also professionals who create these materials um, do because they don't come from the community. They don't have a relationship with the community. And so they don't see the, the barriers. They don't see the things that need to happen in order to actually reach people where they're at. Yeah, and I think that's like so amazing what what you guys are doing because I I feel like from the stories I've been reading and the stuff I've been listening to is there is a lot of concern that there will be an undercount um, in this census, but I haven't really seen people try to address that from like a ground level. And I think it's amazing that you guys are looking at like a specific community that will be undercounted and, and trying to address that and focus on them. I mean, it, yeah, it's really interesting also that it's happening in Idaho. I know. I always cool. think that. <laughs> and in 2020. <laughs> but I think it's cool that you have the what we believe is the first bilingual um, website, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. like my my like biggest thing is everything I've gone to since I've been on this beat. Everyone tells me how huge the Latino population is here and it's only increasing. And so it's like that's those are the people we want to see like if there are more of us like let's let's well, see how like, much and more I feel like I say this almost in every podcast but the Latino population here is a young population mm-hmm. and so it's obviously going to just continue to grow and in five to ten years that boom I think is going to be significant because a lot of these this population they're not right now of age to vote mm-hmm. and they will be in five to yeah. ten years yeah and the thing one thing that I am interested in when we do count people is is I, I feel like our count could be leverage when it comes to working with county governments and local governments. Like, 
when I write stories that say uh, Caldwell's police department doesn't look like their population, I can have relevant actual data that says it's increased by this much. But still, and thank you for saying that still, though, because that's important that you <laughs> say that in your articles. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I think I hope that this will give communities leverage to say this is what we look like in 2020. This is what you look like. You need to fix it. I mean, I don't know if it will actually get like make a difference, but I think it's good leverage. Yeah, I guess it's like a, a theory of change moment, right? Like if, if, if we believe that if the people who, um, you know, are uh, that, that, that our democracy and our governments and our communities should reflect the people who, who live there and who work there and I guess, you know, play also. We, we also like to have fun. Um, <laughs> if, if, you, if you're part of this community, you should be represented on some level, mm-hmm. um, whether that's like all facets of uh, service industry as far as um, community service, right? Like, I guess in this case, I'm, I'm including the police in, in service because they are supposed to uh, serve the community regardless of your your race, gender, your socioeconomic status. And so like the only thing, the only way, or not the only way, but one way to um, sort of get there is to actually have people there who reflect the community, not just on one level, but on multiple levels. Because um, we have very diverse communities. Yeah, really. Well, diverse. even in, within our own um, Latinx community, it's diverse. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. so... So it would just be so horrible if we were dramatically undercounted. Yeah, I mean, it would have a big effect on the services uh, provided in the community, um, the way in which we're, we're looked at here in Idaho. But a lot of the growth is the Latino population. Right. Right? Because if we didn't have that, it would actually look like Idaho isn't growing. Yeah, there's several counties that if it wasn't for the Latinx population, they would not have grown at all. They actually would have gone down. And so, and we see a lot of that in the schools, we see some schools that if it wasn't for the Latinx community, that school probably would have probably shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, also, I think as far as like businesses, the Latinx community is like really leading the charge as far as like new businesses popping up. Um, and also, I want to say um, our health industry here in Idaho, like a lot of nurses and, um, you know, it's just like it's, it's a very needed service, right? You can't just like not have <laughs> nurses. You can't just not have um, police officers, police officers and stuff. And so, it's it's really important that um, I, th- I guess uh, here in Idaho specifically that we kind of flex. You know, we're we're, we're very diverse. We have a lot of different things that we're doing. We're doing radio. Doing PR, we're doing podcasts. What is happening? There's a, you know, we're transcending <laughs> time and space. And so we're uh, taking over people. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like uh, you know, I think it's just really a big part of why Idaho is a special place to be and living is because we have a very vibrant and growing Latinx population. Very well said, because, I mean, it is the fastest growing population. Yeah, minority population, yeah. So it seems like if we take stock of, like, the pros and cons, it, it seems like the of, of taking the census, it feels like um, there are definitely more reasons why we should take the census than why we shouldn't, because really the only reason why we shouldn't take the census is based on 
our fear um, or our hesitancy toward the government, you know, um, but it seems like those are unfounded and probably outweighed heavily by the benefits of being counted, of getting that that piece of the funding to the resources that affect you and your area, your family, your kids, um, you know, so if we were to take stock of that, it seems like if you're doing the risk benefits analysis, go ahead and take the census is basically our message. I mean, absolutely. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know why I have this thought in my head, um, but I saw a poll recently. I think it was a Twitter poll. And it's like, what's the best food? And I was very pleasantly surprised that Mexican food or Latinx food, because I mean, let's be honest, it's Twitter. Not everybody knows the difference between Mexican food, Salvadorian food, That's Colombian true. food. But, you know, Latinx food is some of the most popular food um, in the country. Well, remember this summer, I think we all oh, were at tacos. Latino Fest. And just the diff- the diversity in the food there was amazing because you had, you know, pupusas. Then you had somebody else that had tacos. And you had, it was just all kinds of food there. And I think we all split up because we all went to the different taco trucks or the different food trucks there because there was just a diverse of food and they weren't all just Mexican. Or remember JJ and Margie's uh, presentation at the legislative thing. Yeah. She said that um, what well, it was like tacos will like they're going to take over hamburger. Sal- yeah, yeah. No, they're going to replace hamburgers as America's favorite yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. And isn't popularity. it like salsa is more than more people more popular than ketchup? Than ketchup. Oh my God. And tortillas are being bought more and more. And like you see tortillas things like at, even Starbucks is now selling like um, horchata fr- frap. You know, so it's like they're really. Businesses know that they need to cater to our community. Mm -hmm. So when we finished up um, with the live session, Antonio, I asked you if you wanted our listeners to walk away with one thing, what would it be? And I loved your answer. What did you say? I said the only way the census can hurt you is if you don't take it. And it's very true. Yeah. I mean, we should put that on. Bumper stickers and fortune cookies. (laughs) (laughs) You should tweet it out every day. No, I mean, it. it, but like this really... I didn't arrive at that conclusion until I, you know, did a lot of the research and I saw school lunches, Medicaid, Medicare, student loans, um, all of these different, I mean, 55 programs that you're going to use at some point in your life and they only count every 10 years. And so if you miss out, you know, on counting your child when they're five years old, they're going to be 15 by the time they, and then like, think about all the services between five and 15 that they need, especially public school. Um, and then, you know, 15 to 25. Mm-hmm. 55, well, and these are all 65. programs that people take for granted. Like, they don't realize, oh, and this can go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, and it's not like it's like somebody else's money. This is our money. Right. <laughs> this is money that we pay into our, our federal taxes that gets all collected and then gets redistributed based on how many people there are. And we got in 2010, I want to say $3.9 billion, billion with a B. And Indiana got seventeen point nine billion. Why is Indiana so special? Yeah, I don't. What makes them so special? I think they're just really good at counting their people. Yeah. Oh dang. Well, that sounds like a challenge. Sounds like a challenge. (laughs) Antonio's going to have to um, just. It's not like you're doing. Go door to door. (laughs) I wish. Um, You know, one of the other challenges that we have as a community group trying to do this is funding. There's very little funding to do any of this work. This work is so important. You know, for every person that gets counted, that's $1,500. And so 
there's only I've heard of like grants of like fifteen thousand here and there. Um, nothing as far as the state. Boise has been the most aggressive and the most proactive with a hundred thousand dollar budget. Uh, but this was like early in January, so I'm pretty sure they've spent quite a bit of it now on getting ready to do the work. Why do you think other towns and cities are not spending money? I think it goes back to them just not having a relationship with their residents. They um, think that everybody's fine. They think that you know everybody who can be counted will be counted. Um, and they don't see how much work they need to do to reach Latino, Latinx population. Um, and also folks who are homeless and marginalized and forgotten and looked over. You know, they, they kind of, to see that would see, would also challenge, you know, how they do the work that they do because it would just bring to light that they, they need to be doing more to reach those folks in general, not just for the census. <laughs> and with that, I think um, we should go ahead and wrap up with a little bit of information about how people can f uh, fill out the census. And if they need more information, where can they go? So we started both a website and a Facebook uh, page. It's contamosidahocensus.org or wecountidahocensus.org. The Facebook link is there, but if you just look at uh, Contamos Idaho on a Facebook search, you'll find us. Um, one other thing, we include only uh, photos from the community. We don't do any stock photos because we're trying to count Idahoans here. We're not trying to count some stock photo like rando anywhere. And so if you have photos or if you want to help, please send them our way. We love including those on our materials. Um, and so, yeah, so send those our way. You'll probably see some of my family members on there. So sorry, family, but, um, you know, I got to count you. So Photos of, of us smiling or like us photo, photos of our census or what? Photos of not the census <laughs> that form. Would be no, terrible. Send, you taking that. a photo of your census <laughs> form <laughs> <laughs> all of my info. <laughs> Rebecca and I are going to give you an autographed photo of our sauce. Just photos of, I guess, like, you know, portraits <laughs> of the community because we have children featured on there that do the Head Start program. We have some candid photos of community members, um, photos I've taken at family gatherings, that sort of thing. And so I think that just puts a new face on the uh, the materials in general, like, oh, I might have seen this person before. Or recognize the event that they're at. Exactly. I have a really nice photo of JJ eating, like, a triple-decker uh, grilled cheese. So Remember, I, I have the same photo from that <laughs> night of you, so. Send that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, it, it, honestly, like, that's a, that's a social media post right there. We and that was right before page. our fitness challenge. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, I don't mind. Um, and the thing about it is that the only people that are going to convince other people to do the census are other Idahoans. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's a big part of it. Even if it is a little fun and cheesy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that if it actually gets us But I think if it there. shows that, you know, like a group of people at a Latino event, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah, send that my way. Um, contamos, Where can they send those? Contamosidahocensus.org. Or our Facebook. Probably for photos, Facebook would be better. All right. And you can also, while you're on there, you can also follow the Latino card um, on Twitter at the Latino card. We also have a Facebook account page. Sorry, I was just listening to you and I, that's where I went with it, too. Um, we have a Facebook. We have a Twitter. Um, you can follow JJ, Ash or myself. Um, and I would love to thank 
Rachel and Antonio for coming on and talking to us about the census. Um, it is, I understand now, something that's very important, and I will be filling it out. I pledge to fill it out on this podcast. I pledge on the podcast. I'm not going to fill it out on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for talking to us, and we will see you next episode. Hasta luego. Bye.